This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. This is Jonathan Clausen, Love Thy Nerds podcast producer, here to introduce this episode of Humans of Gaming. Now, usually we have our chief nerds, Drew Dixon and Chris Gwaltney, here to interview a member of the gaming industry. But this week, Drew and our chief resource nerd, April Lynn, amongst others, were at Gen Con 2019 in Indianapolis and recorded some short interviews with a plethora of game developers and designers. In this first episode of interviews from Gen Con, we talked to nine designers, including Rob Davio, Michael Fox, and Zane Memon. The interviews ask the basic questions about the games they are showcasing. But just like on our regular episodes, we like to know the developers a little bit better. What do they hope the players experience or learn from their time with the game? Why do they make games? And how do their personal beliefs influence that passion? For developers like Eric Slauson, the game Tattoo Stories gives people an opportunity to share a piece of art with friends and family without the anxiety that comes from being vulnerable. Tiffany Kyrez of Haba Games has a passion for bringing people together by publishing games that encourage relationships and social and emotional skills. And Zane Memon from Bombay, India, shares how three years of making a political documentary in India led him to create a game that allowed family and friends to have a gaming experience specifically about politics, but hopefully without the toxicity so prevalent in those kinds of conversations. We hope you enjoy these interviews from Gen Con. We'll be back next week with more, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere you might be listening to the show. Be sure to visit us at lovethynerd.com to find out more about what we are and what we do, and how you can get involved. Enjoy the show. Drew Dixon here at Gen Con with Eric Slauson. Where are you from? Uh, I am coming out of uh, Northern Virginia. Okay, cool. And uh, how did you get into making games? Just kind of uh, randomly. Uh, a buddy of mine got a, a game as a gift, um, and it was uh, a board game uh, we hadn't uh, played before. Uh, this, like, Catan game. Yeah. Um, and we played it and just, like blew our minds like what is this there's not you know roll to move and, and all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff and so after that we kind of uh went back and forth every month buying a random game from amazon yeah. trying to kind of figure out what our tastes were what we liked um and then like uh, like six months into that i was like i can i can do this and tried to design a game it was terrible yeah, <laughs> but yeah. i took some more swings at it and you know here we are yeah that's cool uh, do you still like Settlers of Catan? Because I feel like when people get really into board games, they're really divided about whether or not they like that game. I'm just curious. There's no wrong answer. No. It's a safe place. <laughs> I do, do. I, I, I like it. Um, I think it's a cool like mix of. I don't mind when there's like luck in games, and so you know there's the whole like thief thing. I think that adds a little bit of like excitement and stuff. So there's the strategy, and there's you know you know, bartering between the, the people, but then there's like oh yeah. you know what's that thief gonna do? You don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I, most of what I play with my group are, you know, lighter things, party things, social yeah. things. Um, uh, but when we do like strategy things, it's something like a Catan. Okay. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. So you were showing here at Gen Con Tattoo Stories. Tell me about Tattoo Stories and what makes it unique. 
Yeah, so Tattoo Stories is a, is a drawing party game, um, and it's it's unique in that it is one where uh, it works on like all ends of the drawing spectrum. So if you're a, an incredible artist, that's awesome because everybody gets to see your art. If you're a terrible artist, that's awesome because everybody gets to see your art and laugh yeah. at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like that. That's me. <laughs> and uh, the way the scoring in the game works is basically a customer is going to come into your tattoo parlor and they say, hey, I like these five things, um, and I need you to mix them all up into one tattoo. I like chicken legs and barbed wire and hot air balloons and pizza and a submarine. Uh, and so you have to mash all of that up together. And the way the scoring works is uh, the customer gives each card to the person who used that the best in their tattoo. So it doesn't have anything to do with like how how beautiful your submarine was. It's like, did you have a funny idea for your submarine? Uh, so there's like a pitching aspect to it, something like snake oil or but wait, there's more or something like that. So um, it's like part drawing, part storytelling, part pitching. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what what made you want to make a? Because you, don't, I mean, I might not be seeing them. Like this is audio, but I don't see any tattoos on you. Are you like a tattoo person? Do you like tattoos? I I love tattoos. I don't have any tattoos. I love it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. But you have nightmares about like getting a bad tattoo or something. And... <laughs> yeah, kind of. I have like really bad buyer's remorse about like when I buy like a book or something. That's why I don't have a tattoo because I feel like one day. I mean. In just a few years, maybe, I'll be like, oh, I'm not sure I like that. Yeah. And then you're kind of stuck with it. Yeah, like, I can study from afar. I can appreciate it yeah. from afar. Like, I love surfing. Surfing's really cool. I have never been surfing. I'll watch it, but I'm a, I'm scared of sharks and stuff. So yeah, sure. <laughs> I can watch other people yeah. do this watch cool skill. Yeah. yeah, cool. So it was really just you kind of got the idea and you wanted to make... Uh, well, well, I guess here's a question maybe to get to this another angle. What... What do you hope players get out of their experience playing tattoo stories? Yeah, so that's a good that's a good question. Um, it's a part of it that's like really important to me is it gives uh, people an opportunity to make art, which is not something that a lot of people really get to do. Um, and it's because it takes the pressure off of like, oh, my drawing's bad or it's good or whatever. It's more about the concept, um, and it's working a part of your brain of like, okay, well, how can I mix things? these concepts together. Um, it gives people an opportunity to, to share a piece of art, uh, which is like terrifying. You think about like getting called up to the front of the class to do yeah. like a math problem or something. Like, people have a lot of anxiety about sharing um, like writing or art. Uh, so this is like a safe space for people to like, you know, work that part of just your soul and your spirit. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a party game and it's silly, but it really, I have seen so many people sit down and say like I can't draw like I'm going to be bad at this and they're already talking about themselves and then they you know three minutes later they show it and everybody just you know bursts out laughing and then they pitch it and people are just cracking up the whole time um, and so like just to see them light up and see yeah. that they can like create. That's a really that's a really compelling and beautiful idea because I think like we live in a culture where we're really like reticent to be vulnerable and like I know, I know a lot of people will probably play this game and it's just like a good laugh for yeah. them. Like it, you could totally play it that way. But it sounds like there's also an opportunity to kind of like let people see something you made, which is kind of a vulnerable moment, which I think le leads to perhaps like better relationships and things like that. Is that, is yeah. that something you've seen, like experienced at the, around the table when people play your game? Yeah, for sure. So I've had people who, you know, are a, a friend's group and then they have 
you know, I've been demoing this game for like two or three years, and they, people still are like, oh, I remember that tattoo that we drew it, you know, Unpub years ago. Um, but I also have a lot of people who I have just grabbed a group um, and of four strangers, and then like later on, I see those four strangers playing the same game, and they're like, oh yeah, we just exchanged information after tattoo stories. Like he made that movie reference, and he yeah, likes that yeah. movie. So I've seen people like make friendships afterwards. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's something about you know, opening yourself up and being, you know, vulnerable for a minute, but like with laughter on top of it, you know, yeah. so. I dig it, I dig it. Is this your first game? Have you done other games? Uh, I've, uh, I have some other things that are coming out late this year and early next year. This will be my first published game. Okay. Uh, Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, it's really exciting. They did, the Bicycle did a, an excellent job with it. Yeah, awesome. Well, this has been great. Um, one last question I like to ask designers is why do you make games? What drives you to get up in the morning and work at this? Because it's really hard work. I mean, people don't realize it, but like, making games is tough. It's hard work. What drives you? It is. It is. It's a lot. Um, I think I one of my personal goals is to is to make games that are like on the surface silly and light but like give people some sort of like an experience so um you know laughter i think is a very like tangible a lot of things in gaming you're like oh i'm i'm a little afraid to roll that die or oh no i hope i don't draw draw a six but there's something about seeing people laugh you know it's like i did a thing you know something um Again, like as an artist, is and so much that board game design is an art. Like it's 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 cool to see somebody have a, an actual emotional reaction to something that you put out into the world. So, right. yeah, getting people together, making people laugh, uh, giving them a chance to create. The other games I've designed are also like drawing or creative or writing or word yeah. games. So, um, that's those are really important things. Yeah. To me. Great, man. Well, it's uh, it's really exciting. Uh, looks like a really unique and fun game. Uh, people can expect it in October, is October, that right? October, yes. Yeah, you can get it uh, from the Bicycle website, uh, other places, potentially. Great, well, we'll look forward to October. Thanks so much, Eric. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Hey, Drew Dixon here from Love Line Nerd, and I'm joined with Michael Fox from Hub Games. Hey, how are you? I am okay. Joined with, like, seamlessly together? Yeah, like conjoined, basically. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, strange use of prepositions. I'm joined by there Michael Fox. That's unfair. Sorry, like it's. I was going to say it's Tuesday morning. It's not Tuesday morning. It's Friday morning. Yeah. The second day of the week right. um, of the Gen Con week. So right. I'm really tired, as you can probably tell. Anyway, yeah, yeah. hello, Drew. It's nice to see you yeah. again. I already like. It's just day one yesterday, and I went home early, which I never do. But I just was already like beat. It's not. It's not good. But, uh, there seems to be this sort of um, malaise of tiredness over yeah. everybody who's here to work. So, yeah. like, whether you're press, uh, whether you're uh, a demoer, or whether you're a retailer, yeah. whatever, everybody is just, as we would say back home, absolutely yeah. knackered. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's weird. Yeah, it is. We're all sort of like operating at eight percent speed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, we chatted with you uh, maybe a couple of Gen Cons ago about... Uh, oh, it, was last, it was last year for... Uh, oh, was it last year? Yeah, yeah. Because okay. it's only the second time we've actually been here. That's right. That's right. Okay. So we, ta- we talked at length about uh, holding on, the uh-huh. troubled life of Billy Kerr. Uh, how's the reception been now that that's out? It's doing really solid. Like, you know, it, it's, it, it's not a record-breaking extravaganza, yeah. but we never thought it was going to be. Sure. Um, it, it's interesting because it's become like... 
this really polarizing game. There are folks who are absolutely 100% bang into it. Like, we, we got nominated for the Diana Jones Award, uh, which was announced on, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, we did win it. Starcross won it. Starcross is a great winner. Uh, but, like, we were, like, put up for this Excellence in Gaming Award. And it's yeah. like, why? That's weird. Um, and then you have other people who go that you shouldn't be making games about old men who are dying. And it's just sort of like, stop us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, it's been, yeah... Like, people either really well receive it or go, eh, it's not for me. Sure. Um, what we really want is to see sort of like folks who are maybe a bit in the middle yeah. and think, okay, like, I'll, I'll give this a try because they're trying to do something a little bit different. Yeah. And uh, the vast majority of people who sort of like take that leap have been really sort of uh, really into it, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we're doing multiple different language versions of it now so like our That's office great. our office back in uh, back in northern ireland is currently just covered in bot like prototype boxes of different languages so like there's the polish one and the french one it's just yeah. sort of strange seeing this whole array of this game that we created just now going out to an even wider audience it's yeah. amazing yeah well i would definitely encourage oh, our listeners to go check it out because like you said i don't think it's really something that's been done in the tabletop space um, a game that's um, simultaneously like uh, mourns the, the the loss of, of of our loved ones in a way, but also I think celebrates life in a way that's pretty pretty unique. Yeah, I mean, it, it was very much meant to be like the, the celebration of an extraordinary life of an ordinary person. Yeah. Um, and when we spoke last year, like we really wanted to like reinforce the idea of Billy is a human being. Like yeah. he's obviously not a real human being, but he is like an amalgam of of experiences and. He's done some good things in his life. He's done some very bad things in his life. And you get to see all of those yourself. You get to experience that story yeah. um, from an outsider's perspective. But eventually, like, you know, you build up yeah. a trust with him and you will, you'll find out what kind of person he is. And your core job is just to take care of him, which I really like because, you know, I think we talked about this in our last interview, but, you know, there's... I think one of the things that, that we talk about a lot at Love Thy Nerd is just the value of of, of people. Like yeah. people are valuable at their core, and they're and despite you know whatever bad decisions Billy's made in the past, you still have to just like keep him keep him healthy. Like, yeah. but also like care for him as a as a human being. Like, make sure he feels valued. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the the Hippocratic Oath is the classic. You know, do no harm. You know, look after the person's body. Yeah. But as people, intrinsically, we we want to care about other people around us. We want to give a damn about what they're like. Yeah. You know, if if I see you at the end of the booth and you're feeling incredibly sad, like naturally, most people will walk up to you, and go like, "Drew, what's wrong? Yeah, yeah. What can I do to help you?" Because right. um, you know, we're naturally empathic creatures, most of us. Some of us are slightly psychopathic, but there you go. Um, but yeah. the, you know, we we care, and there's not yeah. a lot of games out there that, that sort of push that idea of, you know, keep an eye on someone. Yeah, yeah. You know, care about them. Right. It's sure. it's different. Yeah. 
it'll be interesting to see how the second one goes. Yeah, yeah. So you, now you've got this new project that you were mm-hmm. just ch- chatting with me about, uh, Mega City Oceana, mm-hmm. and uh, Very another different. yeah, another game that I would say I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. So yeah, give us. I know it's it's sort of like hard to give the elevator pitch for this one, I imagine, but but it is very visual, admittedly. Yeah. Um, so the uh, the idea is it is a uh, a dexterity game mixed in with a little bit of strategy, a little bit of forward planning. Um, basically, yeah, it's a little bit of like a Euro strategy, which is yeah. not exactly a, a genre that's around. Uh, so storyline-wise, it's 2100 um, to solve like the population boom. Yeah. The uh, sort of like the governments of the world have come together. This is me being like super positive. I'm really hoping this is going to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've developed this new technology that allows us to build these floating platforms that can hold these immense megastructures. Yeah. Um, so to make the first mega city, which is off the coast of Australia, which is a very important thing in my head because I wanted this this beautiful blue sky vibe. Yeah. Like positive, almost like an 80s arcade kind of vibe. Sure. Um, so you're given a whole bunch of contracts which uh, the city managers need you to build. So they'll have a minimum height requirement on them, uh, a, an amount of pieces that you need to use in the building, um, and architectural elements as well. Uh, you can draw pieces from the bag which are weird and wonderful shapes. Uh, they come in three different, uh, three different material types. They're all plastic, but you know, uh, there's transparent, which is glass, there's steel, and there's concrete. Uh, and there's also platforms to build on. So you will build when it's not your turn. So there's no downtime in the game, which means that you're always going to be doing something. When it comes around to you, if you have a completed building, you will then ask all the other players to briefly stop as you then slide the building across the floor, across the play area. So you're kind of hoping that you know, you've built nice and stably uh, and you add it into the city. So you're collaborating on this singular city which will look beautiful at the end of the game. But you are also fighting against each other to become the most prestigious architect. Um, we also have a nice little uh, award ceremony at the end of the game because architects love awards, which is great. Um, and then whoever has the most uh, prestige points is declared to the winner. And you've made this, this unique and, and beautiful city at the end of the game. It's, it's, it's great. How's the reception been so far? Ridiculously great. Like. We, we, we had a few pre-orders and they went down pretty well. Yeah. Um, but then we came to the show and after the first hour, I had six units, like six copies of the wow. game left. Um, we're sold out now. Um, yeah. All we have is like a handful of copies left over for uh, people to pick up for pre-order. Uh, but the game comes out in September officially in stores. Um, it's big proper convention release is going to be at Essen okay. uh, in October. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a bunch of folks who are just coming in to sit down for a quick game. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's just been uniquely positive. Yeah. And I don't deal with like praise super well. Like <laughs> like the Irish intrinsically have a... Uh, yeah, we're, we're not super into like people telling us that we're doing good stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I'm slowly learning and making it better. Cool. Yeah, and if you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players get out of their experience, gain from their time playing Oceana? Or Mega City Oceana, sorry. Well, uh, I would say... Okay, we sit down a lot, and every time we sit down we play a game, like, we say, oh, we're playing a game. Like, you could be pushing a bunch of cubes around a board for four hours, you could be playing cards against reality or whatever. But you don't really sort of, like, unlock the whole five-year-old inside you. That, that just wants to play with stuff. Um, I often find like when folks are sitting down playing a Euro game that has a whole bunch of resources, they will fiddle yeah. about with all the bits. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that kind of 
kind of the best part of Settlers of Catan. Yeah, just messing around with things. <laughs> but this game was kind of born of that. Yeah. Like, Mega City was kind of born of that natural thing of people just playing and fiddling around with things. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I just want people to just enjoy the experience of just playing. Yeah. Just be a kid. Like, it's why I love Lego. Yeah. Like, if I'm feeling like I've got something stuck in my brain, I can't work it, you know, I can't work through it, I'll just, you know, get out a big bucket of Lego and start fiddling about with things. And it, it, it removes you from that, that problem that your brain is, is trying to process. Right. And it just allows you to sort of access a different bit of your brain. And I want people to, to do that with this. Yeah. It's, and just make cool, beautiful things. Yeah. Well, it really is. It's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful looking game, and uh, I, I'm I'm excited. Will the will the game come in the, on that mat like that, or does it, so, does it have as a board? The, I assume. So it doesn't come with the board. Um, okay. You get all of the uh, the pieces, the contracts, all of the tiles. It doesn't come with the play mat. That's like a um, a horrifyingly expensive but very lovely I, extra. Yeah. Um, it also weighs like six pounds because it's okay, the size yeah, of a yeah. small house. Yeah. Um, so we. We made a couple for um, our distribution partners, uh-huh. so it's like it, it helps us demo the game. It like sure. helps us show off. But then people are going, "Can I buy it?" So yeah. It's like, All right. So yeah, you have to get it for our website. Cool. Um, but I, I intentionally wanted to not have a board in the yeah. game because um, oh, you, right. you, you can okay. actually play the game on a table. That's yeah, like, so that we, ha- we, ha- we have a second table over here, yeah. which is like. 24 inches across circular but you can play the game on that as well that's great Um, the table becomes a component part of the game so if you've got like this this rickety janky looking table that's like one leg is shorter than the other you have to build stably to keep your buildings on there Um, yeah so it's a very different um, experience wherever you play yeah that's cool it also sounds like maybe there's some some element here that would Hopefully, encourage people to be a little bit more thoughtful about uh, I don't know the the way we in- inhabit space as people and and maybe the environment and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not in the rules, but a thing that I like to do is when I'm when I'm at a show and I'm demoing the game to people is people people. Um, I I like them to tell me about the buildings that they're making. Yeah. So it's like you you, you sort of like create this this unique story of the city that you're building. Um, sometimes it goes really nicely and it's like I know so I'm calling this the such and such memorial residential park because well you know my granny she just died and I'm gonna make it for her that kind of thing and this this is the mall where you can only buy glass slippers and things like this so you make this weird wonderful story Um, sometimes it takes a, a turn for the weird and you have like yeah like the the chicken carcass processing plant that we had a couple of days ago that was weird Um, but the uh, yeah the idea being of like occupying spaces like you know you are building a space for you to live in yeah and i would like to think that most of us want to live in a beautiful place you know most of us want to live in a place that is not just a functional machine for living in yeah um so we've we've introduced the idea of you know you you add parks to it um you can put statues in those parks to sort of like add some culture and like add some beauty to the place but yeah, for me, for me, I think the most important thing is the is the, the uniqueness of what you're creating. Right. Yeah. It, it it just becomes this sort of like collective art piece as well as yeah, individual that. game. Yeah, that's great. Uh, last question. I've asked you this before, but be curious to hear if your answer is changed or morphed. Uh, why do you make games? What drives you to do this? I can't remember what I said last year. So it's where I completely embarrass myself by going for oh, a completely different answer. Um, 
Why do I make games? I make games. I don't want to change the world because I'm not going to be able to do that. There's like nearly 7 billion of us here and I can't affect everybody. But I want to, I want to make people happy. Just a little bit. Like if I can, if I can make somebody happy by something that I've had a hand in creating, even if it's like half an hour, I think I'm doing okay. Like I, I don't know if we covered this last year. I um, I suffer from chronic depression. Yeah. And I, I find it very very hard a lot of the time to. I mean, some days getting out of bed is a challenge. Sure. Um, some days going to the office is a challenge, but you know there are folks out there who have it a hell of a lot worse than I do. Um, and on those days when I can work, when I can like function, if I can make something that's going to make somebody else's day a bit better then i think i've done all right out of it yeah i love it that's great thanks thanks for sharing that uh well i would encourage our listeners to go check out mega city oceana um i will say when you pitched it to me just now it's one of the first games here at gen con that is just like oh i need i need this i want <laughs> to play this so it's a really compelling concept so september look for it in it, yeah. online and stores and, and such so great Cool. Well, thanks again, Mike. Nice one. Thank you as yeah. always for having us, man. It's much appreciated. Keep yeah. up the awesome work. Yeah, thanks. Drew Dixon here at uh, Gen Con. I had to think about where we were for a minute. Here at Gen Con with April Lynn, who is our... Uh, tell us your title at Love Nerd. I am the Chief Resource Nerd. Well, it just changed, so I had to remember your yeah. title. But you keep us uh, organized and resourced, and it's great. Um, and so we're here with Rob Davio. Did I say your name right? Yeah, Davio. You okay. said Davio, but that's what my brother says, so okay. it's close enough. You got the end part right, which is so, the hard part, Davio. And, and he has the same last name, but he says it differently? Yeah, why not? It's a hard name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we're here at Gen Con, and you're showing off uh, Heist. So tell us about Heist. Uh, Heist is a, a different for me, from, but it goes back to my roots at Hasbro. It's like a just electronic game where you just have to keep up and follow instructions, which sounds easy, but it moves pretty quickly. You're basically playing four or two to four members of a a heist team going into a bank, and the game is giving you instructions like hacker, use the explosives, or give the map to the money man, and you're just moving pieces around and pushing buttons, but you have to keep track of where all the pieces are, who you are, and you have to not miss like a beat, right? If you're like a second late doing something or you get out of sync and you don't hand something to someone, you'll make mistakes. And then when you make three mistakes, you fail out. But if you get to the end, then you win. And it's just like a little three to four minute fun little co-op sort of escape room meets group bop it sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like a escape room bop it that that you can put on your kitchen table. That's (laughs) great. Yeah. Yeah. It's Uh, been fun seeing people, especially Gen Con gamers, you know, yeah. kind of come and, and just, like, play and lose at the beginning. They're like, hold on. This yeah. is a kid's game. And then they, like, play again. <laughs> There's a group now on their third try. Yeah, but yeah. I think they got it now. Yeah, that's a good sign. Yeah. If you had to narrow down to one thing, what do you hope players gain out of their experience playing Heist? Playing this? Yeah. Um, well, a vague sense of panic followed by accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's not even a vague, an active sense of panic. Yeah. Right, I was playing when I like to refresh myself because it's been a while before we got here. I'm like, ooh, you got to focus on this thing. Yeah. But it's just really this sense of you're hyper-focused for about three minutes. Yeah. 
and it's got this beep that gets louder, which is on purpose to sort of become this ha, 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 sort of feeling like that. And then when it gets to the end and money will spill out of the top, I've seen grown people actively cheer at little plastic gold things coming up. So there's a real sense of accomplishment at the end. Yeah, um, so how did you go from, I mean, you've done like Access and Allies, Pandemic Legacy, and you were involved in Risk Legacy too, right? And Betrayal of House on the Hill. How did you, now you're doing a little electronic uh, game. How did that happen? Uh, well, I was at Hasbro for 14 years, so I spent my time around kids' games and toys. Um, and when I left, there was another person left at the same time. He's an electronics guy. And um, we were just looking at different ideas. And there was a game out at the time, Space Team, on the phone, where you're just yeah. Yeah, following it. You're just following instructions. Now, that one's a little different, where you have to read the instructions and then everyone's talking over each other. And we're like, well, how do we do that as like a kid's version? And they're like, well, if something was just following instructions, just literally do this thing. And you're like, I can do this thing. And then, and then you just get panicked. And sometimes it's just a simple idea. And I like doing stuff like that. It's just hard to sell games into the mass market unless you do it full time. But I'm having so much fun with like these deeper games that I'm not taking the time to do the lighter ones, yeah. let alone sell them. But then this other guy and I partnered up with someone who regularly sells games into the mass market and we partner with him and he's looking at our old ideas like, no, this is good. I can sell this in. So I worked on this in 2013 or yeah. 14 and then it just sat on a shelf for three years. I'm like, I know it's a good game, yeah, yeah. but I didn't know how to sell it because yeah. it was like a whole different world and then right. here it is. Yeah, That's yeah. going to feel good to go back to old ideas and yeah. unshelve them. It always feels good and especially with something so simple. Sometimes I go back to an old idea and I look at it and I go, oh no, this wasn't very good. Right? I, I, that's why I wasn't bought. I got stuck and I tried to fix it and I just wanted it to be done, not to be good. Yeah. And sometimes I can fix it then and sometimes it's like, no. And it just goes back on the shelf and I know eventually I'll move and look at it and go, I'm not going to finish this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there, because you've made a lot of games. I mean, I think, you know, you could walk around this, uh, also you could walk around this convention hall and see uh, a lot of games that have been influenced by some of your designs. Is there um, something that unifies the various games that you make? Like, is there a, a unique value that you hope players get out of their time playing a game that you've had your hand in? I don't know if I have a unique value. I mean, I probably have a signature style, although I try consciously to mix it up to do things like this that feel very different. But the games that mean the most to me tend to... I want people the next day to talk about them, and if you overheard them, you would think they were talking about a movie or a book or a TV show. I really try for experience design. And I'm really trying in a lot of my games to have a moving experience, like a genuine experience from something that's not genuine in many ways, and in fact, it's supposed to be escapist. So, you know, you were mentioning before you played Pandemic Legacy. I tried to put a couple moments in there of either uh, anger or fear or pathos, and if you play season two, I, I mean, there's some, there's definitely some pathos and some things in there that I try to play with preconceptions, uh, or Matt and I do. Um, I don't know, I kind of want at the end to no one, no one to talk about the mechanics when they finish. Yeah, They're just that's great. About, they talk about the experience that they felt yeah. while playing it. Yeah. I'll never forget the time that we lost Medic Mike. That was a horrible experience in I, Pandemic I Legacy. I remember that moment in yeah, Pandemic Legacy 2 where, spoiler alert, you have to sacrifice somebody. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> might have to, I was going to say, Medic Mike had made some choices in his life that caught up with him. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. No, we didn't sacrifice. I was playing season one, so we didn't sacrifice Medic Mike. He just 
he just he was just overcome. We'll put it that way. Yeah. So. But you know, because he had a name, and you had a bonding, and you played with him for a while, you still remember his name, and you just told the story like he was overcome with challenges. Like you actually didn't just say like. Yeah, you got a second scar one time because we got a bad card shuffle. See, that's what I'm right. trying to think. Yeah, like, yeah, for you're sure. You're talking about a story and an emotional moment yeah. like a book or a movie yeah. that you connected with Absolutely. and went not breaking down to, you know, the mechanics underneath it. So yeah. I guess that's the underlying takeaway I want people to yeah. get. And it's hard to do. I drive sometimes co-designers and developers and stuff nuts. So I'm like, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, I... Uh, I'll tell my I have one, one one more question for you. I told you I'd tell you my pandemic legacy story. Uh, it's some of the it's definitely one of the most resonant board game experiences I've ever had. And we made it through I think ten games. And then our good friends that we were playing it through moved to Minneapolis. I live in in Nashville, and so it's like we're trying to figure. We it was so it's so devastating that we're like can't finish the campaign but we're trying to convince them to come visit us we're going to go visit them we're determined to get those last few games in so uh so really really love that 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 game and that experience yeah thank you i mean i've heard that a lot of people someone moves away and they finish either take a vacation yeah. or they just finish on skype right. right like someone's like you have a camera on your hand of cards yeah. and another camera on the board and people these elaborate like multi-camera rigs so that the, the people can oh, sort yeah. of finish because they're invested and you know, I know it's a time commitment and everything like that, but I really, really feel fortunate for having come up with a legacy concept to give people a deeper experience into a board game yeah. than a one-off, which yeah. are still fun and there's plenty of room for them. But this other avenue for people to have a, a longer, more in, not intimate experience, but involved. Yeah, more committed in a way, uh, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Uh, so, last question I like to ask designers is, what drives you to do this? What 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 motivates you to make games? Why do you make games? Uh, I'm a storyteller. All of my jobs have been in some version of storytelling. I was going to be a comedy writer. I fell in love with games from role playing. I was actually an advertising copywriter, yeah. right? And I learned how to tell stories that way, like on a billboard. I just come up with interesting ideas, and I want to let people live in those worlds and those experiences I come up with. And you know, the idea that I could come up with another cool idea or another cool world and then have people come up to me years later. I mean, I've been doing this long enough where people come up in their 20s saying they grew up playing my games or they have, I've had people got a tattoo of Pandemic Legacy 2 because they played it with their father who since passed away. And it was like the last thing he did with it. I can get choked up talking about it. I'm like, okay, that, that meaningful experience, either whether it's a Christmas morning or a birthday party or staying up too late or something with a dying parent, like if I can bring entertainment or joy to those moments, that, yeah. that's a really fun way to spend one's life. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much. This was great chatting with you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, Drew Dixon here with Humans of Gaming. I'm here with Tiffany Kyrez. Did I say it right? Ky Kyrez? Yeah, you got it. You got it. Cool. I, uh, and uh, you're with Haba Games. What's your role with Haba? Um, I'm the games manager for Haba, so I'm head of games for Haba USA. Cool. And how long have you been doing that? Six months. <laughs> how, how, how's it been going so far? Fantastic. Um, I used to be a content creator and like social media manager for a variety of companies, and I've always loved Haba games, and I always talked about Haba games, and I always wanted to work with Haba, and so um, it's a dream come true, and it's fabulous. Yeah, we get a lot of... Hobby games get a lot of play in the Dixon household because I have pretty young children, and so it's one of the things I appreciate about Haba is it seems like there's an effort to make 
good games that are fun to play and not stupid. I yeah. mean, some of them are, there's like some stupid, playful stupid elements in some of them, but like, they're good games for kids that five and like, I, my four-year-old, one of my children were four even played them. So is that something that kind of motivates you guys as a company? Yeah, so Haba actually originally started 81 years ago. And the priority was to make high quality wooden toys and games that the whole family could enjoy. So originally it started as making high quality toys that could be passed down to you know kids and generations and quality stuff that even parents would enjoy. And so when they started making games, it was they wanted to make games that you wanted to keep playing with your kids. Because if you've got kids, you know you're going to end up playing that game if they like it every day for the next year and a half. And so they wanted to, Hava wanted to make sure that one, the game would last, and two, you wouldn't hate yourself for having ever originally purchased that game for your kids. You want to have a good experience along with your children. So, yeah. And I've noticed too, your studio seems to be um, like uh, diversifying, I think, um, and even, even dipping into some more adult games, not like with adult themes necessarily, but, but more games that are aimed at a an older audience as well, in addition to, to what you're already offering. Can you give, maybe give me some examples or, or tell me about that? Yeah, so um, our traditional line, our yellow box line that we've had for generations at this point uh, is the most well-known. And while we do say, you know, it's, you know, five and up or six and up, and we do mean the up, uh, sometimes you want something that's a little bit more mentally challenging. And so Haba created a game line called Game Night Approved. And these games are the more involved strategic games or maybe social deduction games or some that kind of stuff. But they're still games that you, they're accessible for a younger audience, not maybe quite as young. Um, and so the idea was that we wanted the game to grow with your kids. You know, yeah. we have families growing up on Haba and they would reach that elementary, you know, third, fourth grade age and they would be like, oh, I've played that. I'm too old for that now. And so you want, your kids are growing up, your relationship with them is growing up. We wanted games that would grow with the family and, and, and challenge the kids still and make it interesting and, and help them also grow in certain skills as they age. And uh, what are you showing here that uh, you're particularly excited about? So I'm really excited about, uh, we have two new releases. We have Wobble King, which is one of our yellow box games. And it's it's one of those silly ones um, that you would say is, is a little silly and straightforward from a um, playing standpoint. There's not a lot you know mentally going on. But you have a king, and he's sleeping on a pile of treasure, and you're sneaking the treasure out from under him and just rearranging it. You're not stealing the treasure. You're just rearranging it. Um, you're one of the guards and you're bored, you know? Uh, and if you knock the king over, if he wobbles and knocks over, he wakes up and he throws a rotten tomato at you. And so it's one of these games that I really love, and I love watching adults play it for the first time, especially with kids, because the kids have no fear. They're just like, shunk, and they take out like five or six treasure at once and then just toss it up. Whereas the adults are like, oh, I just have to very cautiously, very slowly get this one silver out and then you know it's really funny because in the end the kids if they lose they don't care you know they had a great time and the adults are just so nervous about losing so I love to watch families uh, play that one and the adults realize no this is for fun we can just we can do it Um, so that one it's got great reception it's selling really well it's available in stores already Um, and then the other one is mountains which is part of our game night approved line and so that one is one that is a memory game so you're going on hikes and you need equipment for your hike, yeah. um, but you only have so much equipment 
yourself. And so you have to borrow from other players. And so there's a little bit of bluffing that you can do um, to try. And uh, when you borrow, like you can bluff and say that you have equipment that maybe you don't have. Yeah. Um, but you have to pay to actually borrow. You have to pay. And once, once currency is exchanged, there can be no bluffing. So um, it's a fun, it's like Go Fish meets Clue a little bit. Um, with, with a great, if you like hiking or the outdoors, the cover is just gorgeous. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. yeah. Uh, and then a couple more questions. One is, is there, um, if you didn't narrow down to like one thing, is there an underlying value to Haba games? What, what do you hope players gain from their experience playing your games? I think the biggest thing, the we have a whole mission statement. It's fantastic. If you ever have a chance, go to HobbyUSA.com um, about, there's great videos about the history. But the biggest thing is that Hobba believes in the power of play. And so they believe that playing can bring people together and have great experiences together and that you would be surprised at the power of play and what it can do for your relationships, for your kids, for social skills, for mental skills, for emotional skills. Talking about winning and losing with kids at a young age and developing those skill sets is great. And it's just, you can have fun. You can have genuine fun and and more people need to play games and remember that they can just play and I think in the gaming hobby we know this like that's what we do yeah. we love to play but there's so many people in this world that feel that they're an adult now and so they don't get to play anymore and that and the age that people are starting to say oh you can't play anymore that's getting younger and younger and younger and, and that's awful and so yeah. Haba believes in the power of play and making sure that everyone gets to play yeah that's really beautiful I love that uh, and then last question I like to ask people in the games industry is, why do you do this? What, why do you make games? Me or Haba? <laughs> well, I'm really more interested in you, but you can share both. Um, I, well, and so this is, I, and this is why I get along really great with Haba, is, is I do this because I love people realizing that they can play that it's not just silly stupid trivia things they can be mentally engaged and they can have a fun enjoyable time and play basically an imaginary world if you think about it a game is a group of people sitting down and agreeing to operate in an imaginary rule that the designers have created and the artists have you know rendered into life and you're just playing pretend for that time period of the game and you're and yeah. you're just playing and you're having a great time with friends and maybe not friends but they will be soon um, and that's why I do it I love seeing people have fun and play and enjoying their time with each other in a way that we don't often get uh, these days right. it's a inherently inclusive activity you know where everyone's welcome around the table and everyone's equal around the table because you've all signed up for this this rule set and this these expectations and uh, there's something really beautiful about that. In fact, there's a, a kind of one of the I guess fathers of, of game design or whatever, Johann Heisinger, called it the magic circle. You know, because it's like this this space set apart, but you don't have a lot of spaces like that, like in our this day and age. You know, there's like a lot of in fact, there's a lot of like spaces where it doesn't feel very like inclusive or welcoming in our culture. So, anyway, as you're sharing that, it just made me think about how how special games are, I guess, which is in, it's cool to hear that that motivates you and then also HABA as an organization. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's, and I think more and more people are realizing it. I think that the hobby is growing, and more people are bringing brought into games, and they're remembering. You know, back in the in the '80s and the '90s, family game night was a thing. It's coming back. I think people are realizing, oh, computer games and video games are great, but it's not the same experience. Yeah. It's not the same as sitting across the table, being able to look people in the eyes, and have an imaginary world that can go beyond a video game, and and you don't you use your imagination more than more than you know you would in a video game, yeah. that kind of thing. So. Yeah, well, that's great. Thanks, Tiffany. We really appreciate the interview, and uh, definitely be looking for your when is, uh, when are, are those two games both available now? Yeah. They are both in stores now. So at Haba, we try really hard not to do uh, convention exclusives. So we really want to support local businesses. It's a big thing we do. Uh, if you go to HabaUSA.com, you can look on our website for a store near you that has Haba products. Sometimes there's toy stores. A lot of toy stores will stock Haba games. So if you don't have a game store that has them, you might have a toy store. Check it out. Thanks so much. Drew Dixon here at uh, Gen Con. Had to think about where we were for a minute. Here at Gen Con, and I'm here with Nick Little. So, Nick, what is your role with Indie Boards and Cards? Uh, I'm the Vice President of Development and Production for Indie Game Studios, which is the parent company for Indie Boards and Cards, Action Phase Games, and Stronghold Games. Okay, cool, great. And I've noticed, um, like, it just seems like you guys are putting out a ton of games. Like... Uh, what 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 do you have uh, that you're showing here that you're really excited about? Uh, the game I'm probably most excited about here is Aeons in the New Age because it's the fourth expansion and introduces the expedition system, which is like a campaign yeah. system that allows players to reuse all their content in a string of games. Because Aeons in was typical was a, a one-off game before that, so you'd only play one at a time. It's a follow-up to Aeons in Legacy, which is like a really long campaign, but it was a legacy game, so you couldn't really replay it. Uh, I'm also super excited about Finger Guns at High Noon which is a really fun party game where you're shooting your friends and blowing them up with dynamite and stuff like that. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of pointing and yelling at each other. It's, those are my favorite kinds of party games. Uh, Potemkin Empire is a really fun game. So um, in that game, it, it kind of recreates, it's based on the historical story of Grigory Potemkin, who was a, a, a boyfriend of Catherine the Great, and he was a huge swindler, a con man. And he planned this trip for Catherine down the Dnieper River where they would boat past these towns that he had built up these facades along the riverbank and he would talk to her about how awesome the town was and how she should just invest some money in the town and so he would talk her into spending all this money and then when she would stop for the night his team would tear down the the facades and run them down the river and then rebuild them so he just built her out of money over and over and over again as he showed her the same yeah. buildings in different configurations and none of them were real they were just all right. fake buildings so in that game you play a you know, a mayor of a city and you're trying to win the affection of the queen by building all these buildings and some of them are real and some of them are fake and there are five different building types. So it's like this really light like empire building game with a, a social element where because you can build a bunch of fake buildings and I can use spies to kind of knock them down to check what you've done. Yeah. And there are several different strategies in the game and you can, because all the buildings could be fake, you basically get to choose whatever action you want to take every time because whenever you're drafting cards you're just drafting the interiors so you can build yeah. any type of building with any interior card right right yeah we played it yesterday and had a lot of fun um and i didn't realize like that term potemkin is actually like a phrase for something that's fake yeah 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 there are several countries that kind of build up this they'll, they'll show their huge military force and put on these big right. parades to make it look like everything is going right in the country yeah. when in actuality you know, the yeah. people are starving or you know the factories aren't really real right. so that's where the Potemkin Empire comes from because the, they would call them Potemkin villages was the original term yeah yeah 
If you had to, and maybe speak to Potemkin, but then also your line, your the games you guys publish as a whole. Is there like a unique value or or something that you hope players get out of their experience with every one of your games? Yeah, for indie boards and cards, the the main thing that we look for is social interaction. Yeah. So. Uh, the company is kind of founded on Coup, the success of Coup and Resistance yeah. and Avalon, these games that are social deduction games where you're you're not really looking at the actual components of the game very much. You're looking and interacting with your friends and the people that are with you. Yeah. Because we think when you sit down to play a board game or a card game, you're doing that for the company, right? Yeah. For the people, creating experiences with the people around you. If you're sitting down and you're really just looking at cubes on a mat in front of you or on a board and you're just pushing them around and you never really look up and interact with your family or your friends or whoever you're playing with, to us, that's not the experience we're trying to cultivate. We're trying yeah. to cultivate this talking to each other and, and forging yeah. relationships or strengthening bonds, right? So yeah. that's why, you know, Coup and Resistance were so successful, and that's why, you know, the games that we, we pushed here, Anzen is a co-op game where you have to communicate with each other or you are going to fail. Yeah. Um, finger guns, the components in that game are very light, and you're basically just pointing at each other and trying to blow them up and stuff like that, and you're yelling, like I said. Um, and with Potemkin Empire, like, you are building this kind of cool looking you know stand up cardboard empire but also you're trying to figure out based on what other people are doing if they're lying about things or not so there's a lot of social interaction in all those yeah. games that's great uh, I'd be curious to hear you speak to this I like to give people side. you know there's still I think some people in our culture today that look at board gaming and this sort of hobbyist gaming type things and think they're like uh, like a waste of time or or like sort of childish what, what do you say to people in, about why, what the, what's someone missing out on if they take that attitude? Well, just like any hobby in life, right, it, or anything that people enjoy, there are people that enjoy it and there are people that don't enjoy it, right? Yeah. And you could tell me your favorite hobby in the world and you could rave about it. And if I think it's stupid, even if I try it, I, it's because I go into it with a bad attitude. Yeah. I'm probably not going to enjoy it. Like anything I don't want to enjoy, I'm not going to enjoy, right? Yeah. But if people come into the experience with an open mind, because a lot of people think, board games, the people that you're referring to, typically the board games they have played are all the Parker Brothers and and those games from the 70s and before. And board gaming in general has come so much further as far as design from yeah. there. The games are so much more interesting. A lot of them are just like a lot simpler and they've tied it down to just the fun aspect of it, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think if you could get someone that feels that way and you could show them like a real easy to learn kind of light game that's so much different from Monopoly and Sorry and Trouble and stuff yeah. like that. Right. It's it's a whole different world. There's there's a game for anybody as long as they're willing to try it with an open mind. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's board games are the, the market is continuing to grow. Like there are more people playing board games now than yeah. ever. And we said that the last five years, every year it's grown, right? Yeah. So people are opening their themselves to this opportunity. And in a world right now where everything is so digital, everyone's looking at their phones or they're online all yeah. the time, it gives you the opportunity to interact with your friends in an analog manner yeah. where you're actually sitting around a table and talking and hanging out and creating experiences. Yeah, sure. And then last question I like to ask people in the games industry is, why do you make games? What drives you to do this? Uh, I do it because I love it. I love games and I'm good at it. And it's a lot of time it's it doesn't really feel like work, you know? And I am fortunate enough that Everyone that works in the company that I work with, I, I'm friends with them. So, yeah. you know, that's kind of, I got into this industry with my best friend and, you know, our company was acquired by another guy who, who now, like, we're good friends and everybody I've ever worked with has been a pretty good friend of mine and it's just, it makes the work environment so much easier yeah. and enjoyable. And yeah. like I said, it, it doesn't really feel like work most yeah. of the time. Gaming helps with that because it's like you're all working around this sort of shared love that's, like, rooted in 
fun and co community, right. you know? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, this is great chatting with you, Nick. Thanks yeah. so much for your time. Nice yeah. Drew Dixon here from Love Thy Nerd. I'm here with Peter McPherson, and you made Tiny Town. So what's, I mean, I just feel like I hear everybody talking about it. What it's, what's it been like making a game that's, like, been pretty successful? What's that experience been like? Uh, surreal, I suppose. It's my first published game, uh, my first halfway decent game design. So yeah. it's, it's just been really cool to see all the posts on Instagram and Twitter and Reddit talking about the game and just to know that my game is being played by families all over the place and friends so yeah. um, pretty weird still sinking in yeah was that something that you set out to do to make a game that was that is played by families in particular that's family I think at least family friendly maybe even uh, you know feels very inclusive I guess yeah absolutely I want it to be totally family friendly in terms of theme and just ease of play I also hope there's enough challenge there for for more gamer gamers sure. um, and one thing I think I think works well is if there is a family playing and you've got the, the parents who maybe are gamers and are more experienced than the younger kids, just the nature of the game, the, the parents might be having a really tough puzzle and a tough time figuring out what to do with their resources while the kids are, are just sort of coasting. So I've been trounced by young kids many times in my own game. So. That's great. That's great. Um, and if you had to narrow it down to one thing, well, I guess before I ask that question, let's give the listener who doesn't know, what, what is Tiny Towns? Like, what makes it unique? Sure. So Tiny Towns is a, a town building game where everyone's got a small 4x4 grid they're going to be filling with resources arranged in certain patterns to make buildings. So when you get the pattern for a building, the resources glom down into one space and you place the building meeple. And you get those resources by taking turns as master builders. So when you have the master builder hammer, you name one of the five resources and then everyone must place it whether they want it or not. Um, so I think that aspect makes it, makes it unique in that the, the randomness is player generated. Um, though there is a mode to play with a resource deck as well for more of a roll and write experience. Um, I also think it's a game where your choices become more limited as you go on, which, which I, I haven't seen a ton of. So at the start, it's, it's wide open pasture. You know, you, you can just see all of your plans ahead of you. And as the game goes on, your choices become more and more limited as space runs out. Yeah, I remember when I played really regretting my early choices. But that's a fun experience to like realize. I, I think you know, good games force you to recognize the mistakes you made in the past at times, which can be really valuable. Makes you want to try again, you know? Right, yes. It's, it's your fault usually when something goes wrong and, and hopefully you know how you can prevent it in future games. Sometimes there's just that one guy who keeps on saying yellow, but but usually it's it's your fault when things go wrong. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and uh, if you had to narrow down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their time playing Tiny Towns? I hope everyone gains a sense of satisfaction whether you did did poorly or pretty well. Because uh, at the end of the game, you've got your own tiny town that you can admire, and it's a game of a series of very small goals that just take one or two turns to achieve. So, I I hope players feel satisfaction in setting their sights on a goal, and within just a couple turns, achieving that goal and moving on to the next thing. Great, cool. And uh, another question I like to ask game designers is, what motivates you to make games? What 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 drives you to do this? Um, just the sheer fun of it and the fact that I can have an idea in my head and within a couple hours of sloppy prototyping, I can show it to friends and, and have an experience to play together. I think there aren't many other creative endeavors where you can make something so quickly and then, and then share in that experience. An author can't 
can't read their book and experience it the same way a game designer can play their own game and have a fun time. Yeah, yeah. And share that game around the table with other people, which yep. is a pretty cool experience. Exactly, yeah. It's yeah. a creative process that brings people together. Yeah, definitely cool. And uh, this is available now, right? Yep. Yeah, it was released back in May. So, uh, yeah, it's available at friendly local game stores, online on Amazon, Cool Stuff Inc., and sites like that. Cool. Great. Well, uh, I've enjoyed playing it. We've enjoyed checking out here at Gen Con, and it's been great talking to you, Peter. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Drew Nixon here at Gen Con with Jeff Beck. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Where are you from? I'm from Salt Lake City. Okay. Cool. And uh, how long have you been making games? Uh, about three, well, professionally about three years. Okay. I, you know, it started when I was probably eight years old and I was making variants on Candyland and whatnot. Yeah, sure, so. sure. Yeah, designing games on the, the playground too, probably. Oh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Had to reinvent basketball at least twice, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. It needs, it needs improvement. It, absolutely. A little worker placement, you know, it'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, and uh, so you and uh, Tim Fowers kind of have your own company kind of thing going on here. Tell me about some of the, you, you've made several games. What are the ones you're most proud of? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of my game called Hardback. It's the follow-up to the fairly popular game Paperback. Uh, I love deck building games. I also love word games. My game before that was called Word Domination, which is also a word game. So I'm a big fan of word games. So that one I play a lot. There's an app version I play with my kids like literally every day. Yeah, so that's okay. really fun. And then uh, my newest game that just came out called Getaway Driver is a really tight two-player kind of head-to-head game. It's just really thematic. Like any, if you've ever seen any car chase in a movie, you can recreate it in this game, and it's just it's just a blast. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, if you, I mean, I know you've made lots of different types of games. Um, so is there one like unifying value to all those games that you kind of look to as as this is the this is what what I hope players get out of their experience playing playing my games? Right. Yeah. I mean, so I tend to lean toward lighter games, but light, lighter in the sense that you don't have to read a 60-page manual to figure out how to play, yeah. but there's still a lot of depth and a lot of strategy into it. So I think that's the theme of my games is I can teach you how to play in five minutes, but it, there's a lot going on, and, there, yeah. you know, and you're going to discover how this piece interacts with that piece that you didn't see the first three times you played that game, yeah. and, and those are the kind of experiences I'm really trying to design. Yeah, great. And, um, you know, I, I know we played, I don't know if you can talk about this, but we played one of your games last night yeah. that's uh, not even announced or anything yet. That's true. It's, uh, it's still in development, but, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, so uh, I can talk about that a little bit. So it's called Intrepid. Yeah. It takes place on board the International Space Station. Yeah. So every player represents an astronaut from a different country, so a really diverse crew. Uh, we have people from the United States and Canada and Russia, but also from Malaysia and Japan and you know, and we're looking at people from South Africa and, and really all over the world, which is a pretty cool thing. And all, yeah. by the way, all these countries weren't just randomly selected. These are countries that have been to the International Space Station. Yeah. So that's why they were picked. Um, and the games, you're all working together to keep the lights on inside the space station. You got to make sure there's enough power, enough oxygen, enough food, and enough temperature control. But there's a disaster going on. Uh, the game comes with a number of different disasters. It could be uh, you're losing orbit and slowly sinking into the Earth's orbit. Or it could be that there's a fire on the station, or there's a meteor shower going on, or yeah. any of these different disasters. They all play out differently, so you got to deal, with, handle the situation in a different manner. Right, right. So that one feel uh, to me felt a little bit deeper than maybe what you've made in the past. So is there a desire for you to to make a game that uh, takes more than five minutes to explain? <laughs> yeah, and you're right. That one is. 
Well, but you know, the core mechanic of that one is still you're rolling dice and then you're placing those dice and, and, and triggering the action. So while it is a little more complex, it's very asymmetric. All the players play totally differently. Yeah, you can explain the rules of that one pretty quick. It's just the the, the specifics depth of, of strategy each. takes a bit longer. To yeah, that's that. true. So so yeah, I, you know, I am of course expanding a little bit. Um, I'm also really interested in games that really capture a moment or a feeling. Yeah. Like with Getaway Driver, I think it does a really good job of capturing that. Oh my gosh, the police are on top of me. What am I going to do yeah. to get out? And and on uh, Intrepid, what I really wanted to capture was kind of the, the fear of being outside totally on your own trying to fend for yourself away from the rest of the world that can help you out. Yeah. And so th that's the feeling I'm trying to capture with Intrepid. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. Well, I really enjoyed checking out uh, Intrepid last night. I always enjoy checking out you and Tim's games. Um, so one last question i like to ask designers is what moves you to make games? What motivates you? What, what, how, why do you get up in the morning and, and work on making games? Yeah. So originally I started, I was looking for a hobby that I could play with my kids yeah. or that I could, I could say I can do with my kids because they're getting a little older and I wanted something that we could spend some quality time together. And so we started designing games together and that was just yeah. a great thing. Um, and that ultimately led into my, you know, this becoming my career. And now I just really enjoy creating experiences for people. I just yeah. think it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, a, it's very challenging yeah. to be able to take a rule set and a bunch of cardboard and then create this emotion yeah. that, that you know, is really captured well. Um, but, but boy, when you can pull that off, it's just it's fantastic. How old are your kids? Uh, so my oldest is headed off to college next month. So Ooh, I'm an old man now. <laughs> and how many do you have? I have four kids. Uh, how, are they uh, helpful playtesters? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I sometimes have to bribe them. You know, it depends yeah. on the game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, no, they enjoy playing my In fact, not only playing my game, but they, they sometimes help make the prototypes. Uh, like the original version of Hardback, which was all handwritten, uh, my oldest daughter actually wrote every single card, and I trade her. Uh, I bought her movie tickets to go see Thor Ragnarok. So that was our deal. I think it was pretty good. That's great. Yeah. I think you made out pretty well. Yeah, okay. Not bad, I suppose. Yeah. So. I'd take that deal. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, my kids, like, anytime I offer to play games with them, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally, but they're younger, you know? Uh -huh. So I'm not looking forward to that day when I'm like, hey, let's play a game, and they've got something else to do that's going to crush me. <laughs> but, yeah, you got, you got you to breed them in early, yeah. you know, so they're really excited about it. And then, you know, it's, it's, a, it's making sure you pick the right game for the right kids, yeah. right? Like, uh, my 12-year-old, she loves complex strategy, honestly. That's, like, her thing. So if I can get a heavier game to the table, she's into that. Whereas... Um, two, the two that straddle her, I got a nine-year-old and a 16-year-old, and they're more into party games. They like the super light, you know, or like maybe as like heavy as Sushi Go, and that's about it. Yeah. And so just picking the right game, I can, I can get them excited. Yeah. Cool. Good, good tip. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. It was great talking to you. All right, great talking to you. So I feel like Virgo Bros 2, was, it was hard. But I, I look back on it and I think, like, okay, there's some things we could have done. <laughs> yeah. Which is a sign of, like, of good game design because I want to I wanna try my hand at it again, you know? Yeah, and a lot of times you don't know what's at stake. Like, you don't know, like, oh, I shouldn't be on the first floor. Or, or you, until you see kind of what all the tiles do and everything, you can't make an informed decision about what risks to take. Sometimes you're going to run through the guard because it's like, you need to go. Yeah. So, um... But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look back at any puzzle design. Like, even when I do, like, an escape room. If I look at a puzzle, when I find out how it worked, I'm like, I wasn't going to get that. 
yeah. you know, and you feel like it was a little too arbitrary. But if you look back and you're like, oh, when you feel like it's on you, you want to play again. Yeah, you want to yeah, re-up. Exactly. You're like, okay, okay, we can do this. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and it's the mastery curve. I mean, that's yeah. what humans are kind of driven towards, yeah. is a sense of mastery. Um, um, Raf Costa wrote a whole book called um, Theory of Fun. Yeah. That's all, that's all about, like, humans will always be driven towards something if they feel like they can get better at it. And that's yeah. it's mastery. Yeah. And that drives video games, that drives, you know, board games, magic. Sure. Um, but, but there's other motivations. Um, I mean, the other two, based on, like, a psychological perspective, yeah. is relatedness. Uh -huh. um, so like um, your network of people. So yeah. sometimes it's like Mario Kart. Is Mario Kart a good game? Sometimes. <laughs> is Mario Kart is Mario Kart when it's good good because of the company, or is it yeah. good because of the game? Right. And so that's the thing is there's such a human element in games that it's hard to it's hard to distinguish um, good games from good friends a yeah. lot of the time. You yeah. know. Right. So because like Killer Bunnies is not a great game. But if you're if you're with the right crowd, it's it can be time. it can be a good time. Yeah, right, exactly. So, and then the other one is autonomy, is just a sense of choice. Uh -huh. So sometimes you'll play a game just so you can feel like you can make unique choices, either right. customization or or I can try a different strategy. Yeah. Um, and and really that sense of of agency and choice is is a very human trait as well. Yeah. So usually those are the three things: mastery. Um, uh, autonomy and you know choice and relatedness yeah. are these. It's called self-determination theory, and these are things that make people happy in the long term. And most people yeah. need all three of those in their life to be happy. Yeah. Like those, and, and it's just an interesting lens to look through. So we, we look through it in, in games a lot yeah. um, because mastery is one axis, but we try to look at the other ones as well. Yeah, I should say I'm here with Tim Fowers of Fowers Games, uh, and oh, you just uh, clip that at the beginning. Yeah, you yeah, just no, re-edit that. It doesn't matter. People uh, will enjoy the conversation regardless. But uh, but yeah, so is the, are those three things that you're constantly thinking about when you design games? Oh, I mean, so I've, I've met a lot of, I've been introduced to a lot of psychology through game design. Yeah. And there's a lot of different axes. That's kind of like, um, that's one one lens to look through game design. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, Jesse Shell wrote a book called Art of Game Design. And he's, he has this concept of lenses. He has a hundred different lenses. Because yeah. a game is such an ephemeral system of rules and, yeah. and whatnot that you can't always look at it through a single lens. You have to constantly be shifting your perspective. Yeah. And you're like, oh, let's look at it from the audience perspective. Looks from the, the system's perspective. Like, yeah. And so his, his, his book is a hundred different ways to look at a game. Oh, wow. and, and, and that's what you do. It's just, is it productive? Does it help me change something in the game that's going to make it better for more people, or is it going to make it more resonant with the theme? And so that's when the people say, is it is it a thematic game, or is it a, a, a kind of a dry Euro game, or whatever? Those things you can kind of suss out when you're in this creative when you're in this creative stage. Um, so that's what I say. SDT is just one because it's a, a psychological theory that, that has some data behind it. Yeah. I, I could name a bunch of other psychological. There there are fun ways to look at things. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I, I. I mean, I've been. I've been giving talks on anticipation, and I have some theories about how your brain works with anticipation, how you get excited about things in the medium term, and sometimes in the in the short term. You're like, ooh, I'm going to use this ultimate in Overwatch, and it's going to kill everybody. You know, yeah. like there's all these different times. You know, so um, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of the craft. So we actually put together a conference called Tabletop Network. Okay. And we're running it in front of Board Game Geek, um, BGG Con, yeah. same hotel, two days before. So board game designers come, and we give talks like this. Yeah. We give talks about SDT, or we give talks about 
you know, yeah. And uh, and this year we've got like you know uh, Martin Wallace coming, and, you know we and and uh, Matt Leacock are coming and giving talks. Martin Wallace did what is he? Uh, uh, Birmingham. Um, yeah, and and I mean he's. I, they're Martin, it's like a cult. Like people that like Martin Wallace love Martin Wallace, and he's and he's really good. And he's done a lot of stuff publishing and whatnot. So um, we've gotten some great speakers, and and it, the co the convention is evolving. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I try to mentor is is the main thing, and this is a way to reach more more designers. Yeah. Because really, you know, everybody everyone's really a designer. Yeah. I mean, if you play house with house rules. Yeah. And everybody plays Monopoly with house rules. <laughs> yeah. um, then you're How do you get through a game without house rules? No, you, so everyone's a designer. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and that's what's great is like this is an industry where really you know it's it's all about you know the motivation to create. Yeah. And and uh, start and finish projects. Yeah. And uh, you know that's the main thing is a lot of people have ideas but the follow through like yeah. see it through uh, even when you know that you're not really good at it yet. Yeah. And seeing it through and getting better, get your ten thousand hours. Yeah. So. Yeah. So have you put ten thousand hours into designing games? I'm I'm uh, thirteen years in. Yeah. Full time. So probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I even have that with some of the guys I work with. Yeah. And they're they're just a couple years in. Yeah. And and they'll kind of get frustrated with design. They're like, because they, it's this thing where your your taste exceeds your talent. Yeah. So you, yeah. you your taste for finding out it's like it's like you can tell good food more, better than you can cook good food. Yeah. And so they're, they'll be frustrated because they're like, they'll see me design something. They're like, okay, cool. And then they'll step up to the plate and they'll design yeah. something. They're like, what? And they're, they're mad with their results because it didn't work out. I'm like, I can't tell you. You just have to keep trying. Yeah. You have to put the time in. Right. And, um, and it's also you get past the point of like getting too precious about your ideas. You're just like, you know what? You know, if, if, if this isn't the last good idea I'm going to have. Yeah. I'm going to make another thing and I'm going to keep trying. And, and just kind of like, because people, when they first get into game design, they get really protective and they worry that people are going to steal their ideas and, yeah. and their idea probably isn't even really good yet. Yeah. But, um, so we do a lot of this kind of coaching, even if they're a new designer, I try to coach them and I'm just like, get, just finish something. Yeah. Even if, even if you don't like it by the time it's done, follow it, follow it through and, 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 and don't fret about it. Just yeah. like move on and, and do the next thing. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, uh, so you guys are showing several games here. What are you? Uh, what are you kind of most proud of here at Gen Con? Uh, well, I mean, there's two big things for me. I'm doing Burgle Two, which I just yeah. announced, and we got to play I yesterday. Last night, yeah. And then, uh, and then Sabotage just arrived, and it's been a year in the works, or a year plus. Yeah. And it's our two versus two stealth game. It's yeah. two teams of two, and um, just really good reception. We're we're down to the last like two copies. That's cool. And. Okay. Um, and uh, just, you know, proud of it. It's, it's kind of this, I'm, I'm nervous again. You're nervous before a Kickstarter, but you're also nervous when you're delivering the game yeah. and to see if the, if the game can really stand on its own feet. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll see, yeah. you know, so. So you don't know yet. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so far. Yeah. But it's, sometimes it's also a mismatch. Uh, what I worry with Sabotage is it's different than my other games. Yeah. So I'm just like, you liked my other games, read the label. Don't yeah. just buy it because it's my game. Right. But like, read the label, and for people that are they're kind of into this, you know, medium, a medium heavy um, teamwork, um, you know, kind of bluffing and uh, and stealth movement and whatnot, they're gonna they're gonna love this game. But like, if it's the paperback people that are playing, like, don't play sabotage with your grandma. There, she's not gonna have a good time. Right. Play paperback with your grandma. She'll have a good time. Right. Yeah. So. Gotcha. 
Um, I've asked you this before, but I'd be curious to hear if your answer has changed or evolved. Um, is there, is there, because you've made lots of different types of games now, is there something like a, a single value that, that drives all of them? If you had to narrow it down to like one thing, what do you, you know, what do you hope players get from their time playing um, your games? No, I mean, we try to do, answer the question of um, what would I, what would I um, do, uh, what would I do in that situation? Like when you're watching a heist movie, yeah. part of your brain is like, can I do that? Can, yeah. I, can I pull that off? You yeah. know? Um, or whatever, right? I mean, your brain is constantly going through those hypotheses. And we try to capture new emotions when it comes to that. And so answer questions like, could I survive a car chase? Is in Getaway Driver, you know? Or, you know, could I be, could I be James Bond in, in Sabotage? Um, that's, that's kind of been driving recently, is like pulling these emotions from movies, you know, or other media and trying to answer these questions. Um, I mean, a lot of games really always are kind of hitting on similar similar emotions, domination being a big one, yeah. and a lot of games are about domination, and, I, and that really, I don't know what emotions I am, but that's one that I'm not. Yeah. You know, like, I don't, I don't have very many games that you're competing directly very much at all. I yeah. do asymmetrical, I do, uh, I, I do cooperative and whatnot, because, I don't know, I just, I don't like, I don't like how I feel after a lot of competitive games, even yeah. when it's just like a points race. Yeah. I feel like I like my friends a little bit less. But like after when I made Burgle Bros and people were giving high fives after, like, yeah. like that's why I do it. Yeah. So. Gotcha. I know. Well, this is a similar question, but uh, but why do you make games? What drives you to to do this? Um, I feel like uh, for me, it's like it's selfish. Whatever talent I have, I have to share, right? So if I have a good idea for something. I've always just feel obligated, like, if I, I'm selfish if I keep this, yeah. so it's my job, like, I have, I have a responsibility to whatever was given to me to hand it on to other people. So, so I'm just kind of like, I'm the guy in between, right? The games are, are weren't really for me, they're just something that I, that I was a conduit for them to come out. And so, I, I gotta carry that torch. So, and I do, you know, so, um, but, I, but also I do it in a way that I can um, meet people directly. So I do a lot of, I do mostly direct sales. And, and that's why I come to conventions, because I want to meet people. I want to hear their story about, you know, like Burgle Bros always tells a story. Like, tell me about your craziest one. They always have a, a craziest time they play. So, um, so yeah, I know. And, uh, you know, a lot of your games seem clearly to be influenced by, like, classic heist films and, and spy films and things like that. Is there... Do you have like a some favorite films that 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 you'd point to? I'm just kind of um, curious. Actually, Sneakers. Oh yeah, that's a great movie. Robert Redford. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, like that. That was one. I mean, people say Ocean's Eleven. I'm like, sure, Ocean's Eleven yeah. is fun, but Sneakers. Yeah. Does it? Um, I'm curious. Have you watched it recently? Like, does it hold up? I haven't watched it in a while. Okay. Maybe maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> I always wonder that with movies, like, because I remember watching that as like probably in high school or middle school or something. And liking it a lot, but I'm like, would it hold up now? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But, but that was that was definitely one. And we've done some different homages. Like yeah. when we were playing an early version of Burgle 2, there was the Whistler oh, yeah. as a was a character in it. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. Um, I mean, favorite movies. I mean, I like uh, Primer, if, okay. just because it's so twisty and yeah, I've seen that one. It's hard to recommend. It's a really twisty, twisty time travel movie, okay. and it takes about two or three viewings 
to even have an idea what's going on. Because okay. it's self-consistent, but it's this loop. And, you're, and then you watch it and again, you're like, wait, that guy's from the end of the movie and he's back here now. And you're like, what? Yeah. It's great. Okay. I mean, it's almost more fun after thinking about it. Yeah. Like, the movie itself does not hold your hand. Yeah. It's not going to tell you what's going on. Yeah. So. I like that idea. That's cool. Well, thanks, Tim. This is great. Yeah, thanks for your time. Yeah. Zane, where are you from? I'm from Bombay in India. I traditionally make uh, independent cinema, documentary films, virtual reality, and a bunch of other stuff. This is the first time I have gone into interactive and made a game. Yeah. So, yeah, it's my first convention ever. Yeah, what made you decide to make a game? Um, so, the studio I built, the idea was never to make a game or make a film or make anything. The idea was to tell stories that were compelling, which exciting and most importantly, urgent. Yeah. Uh, I made a document, I was part of a team that made a documentary about politics. And it took us three and a half years to make. And those three and a half years we spent uh, following the major political parties of India. Yeah. And we were, we were in, in closed door meetings with them, we were following the campaign very closely. So we knew exactly how politics functioned. Yeah. What is that documentary called? It's called An Insignificant Man. Okay. Uh, it's on YouTube if you can uh, check it out. Vice International acquired it. Uh, after the documentary got over, I noticed this problem in the world around me which was that it was, had become super difficult for me to talk to my friends or my family about politics without uh, it becoming toxic, without it becoming angry. And, and I wasn't the only one facing that. So I said, okay, if I were to spend some time trying to solve this problem, how would that, what would that look like? I knew that would look interactive, for sure. Uh, if, I, if it was a YouTube video, it doesn't help. If it's a film, it doesn't help. You have to sit, around, sit across and interact with each other. But should I make a digital game in a post-Android uh, post, uh, and Nintendo Switch world? Should I make a, a digital game? But then the interface is physical to screen. It's, 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 a, it's not a human-to-human -human interface. And if screens could solve the problem, then Twitter would be the best place on earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's some uh, people feel some anonymity and lack, maybe there's less accountability when you're, when you're, when it's just you yeah. and the screen. Yeah, and less emotion because the second you get a, you get a message or you get a email, the illusion breaks. Now, I've been gaming since I was three years old. And by gaming, I mean everything from PC games to consoles to tabletop games. And that's a medium that is my medium of choice. I consume more games than films and books combined. So I said, hey, let's, why, don't you go back, why don't I go back to my favorite form and try something there? This was Feb last year. And I started wondering if a political game were to be built, what would it look like? And it took me 18 months to build Shasin. Yeah, and I launched it. I was skeptical that politics would be picked up by the community as a as a genre, but surprisingly, it's done really well. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. Uh, what is your what is the reception of it then? Because I feel like in in the states in America, that's a huge problem. Like where people, I feel like there's certain political things I can't talk about with my family mm -hmm. because it's not safe to mm -hmm. talk about those things. You know, uh -huh. uh, so. It sounds like you're making a game that's trying to break down some of those walls. Like, have you? What kind of feedback have you gotten? So the feedback has been like overwhelmingly positive. I have playtested the game uh, uh, over a thousand times already, and I've had people get angry at each other, but at the same time talk to each other about things uh, which they wouldn't have talk, talk, spoken about. I've had people who are completely, uh, uh, who are completely, uh, complete strangers, 
sit across the table from each other and discuss really important political issues while having fun. You know, the gameplay at the end of it can't be academic and boring. When you're playing a game, you want to have fun. And academic games only go so far. So while the the intention was larger than just gameplay, I had to make sure the gameplay was fun. So I've had hours and hours and months of months of people laughing, screaming at each other, having fun and having a great time while discussing important issues. And I don't think there's anything more I could have asked for. That's great. That's very cool. That's cool. And um, if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope players get out of their experience, that they gain from their experience playing Shazen, what would it be? Uh, apart from the apart from the two hours of like nail biting action, uh, one thing that I wanted people to understand is what goes inside your representatives, your politicians' head when they say the things they say and they do the things they do. So when I put you in the politician's shoes for two hours. It's better than any classroom lecture or any film you could have watched because you you have been behaving like a politician for two hours. The next time you turn TV on and turn the TV on and you see the politician saying something ridicu- ridiculous or insightful or greedy, you know why they're saying that. You know what's going on inside their head, and that's the takeaway I want people to have. And so far, it's it's translated really well. Yeah. So like a greater awareness of of how our political systems work and yeah. what's going on in the minds of... Yeah. The smokes and mirrors of politics break and vanish in, while playing Shasin. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. And um, so I guess we should have talked about this at the front end of the, of the discussion, but kind of tell me how the game plays. Like, okay. what's the quick pitch of how the game works and how it plays? Uh, uh, so Shasin is a 3-5 to five player political strategy game where each one each player is a politician in the middle of an election campaign yeah. uh, they gather resources influence majorities and try to capture as much territory they, as they can but the core economic uh, engine of the game is not a dice roll it's not a card draw it is it is give is it is sharing your opinion on a policy issue that could be anything from an economic issue issue to a social issue to a racial issue and depending on uh, how you respond to the issue you get resources and you use them to in- create influence, gerrymander voters, form coalitions, hatch up conspiracies, and uh, dodge headlines, yeah. among other things. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I like all, I like the idea of it a lot. So, very cool. Well, uh, one last question I like to ask designers is, why why do you make games? I know this is your kind of your first one, but mm-hmm. what what drives you to do this? Uh, so, uh, building up on what I said earlier. The idea is to create an experience where you are, where you believe that you are in the other world and you're taking decisions like another character. And no other medium can do that like games. I think, I truly believe that games are the, the newest frontier and the future of all, all media. Uh, and uh, the ability to role play while sitting across each other is something that's so powerful that nothing else can match it. Well, I enjoyed looking at it. I'm uh, looking forward to trying it as well. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks, man.